Awesome. Well, again, good morning. Uh, as we get rolling in, in our time in the Word here, uh, a confession I have to make that I make occasionally, and if you've been around, you, you've heard me say this before, but uh, I, I never had any desire. In fact, I had a fear uh, of ever being a pastor in America. Uh, because in 2003, when I graduated from Denver Seminary, we immediately flew over to Okinawa, Japan, began doing ministry with the American military over there. Loved it. Uh, loved to see what God was doing in that place. Just loved the island life, all that stuff. And I, I would come home and I would talk to my mentors and pa- other pastors, and they would hear my stories and they'd look me in the eye, almost every single one of them. They'd say, Mark, never come here. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, Mark, you don't understand. What you're describing is what we all want, but we don't get in the American church. Like, just, just stay over there. I'm like, okay. And so I planned to stay over there, and I stayed over there, and sure enough, over the next 10 years, as I watched from afar, most of my friends, most of my friends in seminary, I watched them get chewed up, spit out, and leave church after church, and, and some of them leave church altogether, saying, I'm out. Because the church in America can be a brutal place. And, and so sometimes when uh, people become Christians, they, they have this prayer, Lord, I'll go anywhere as long as you don't send me to X place, right? As long as usually like uh, South America or China or Africa. I'm like, all those places sound amazing, Lord. Just don't send me to America, uh, especially the suburbs, and here we are. And, and I, I do want to say that um, over the last two and a half years here at Redemption Parker, the great surprise and blessing of my life is you guys. I, I am surprised. It is a place of encouragement. It's a place of, uh, that I did not expect. I did not see in my other friends. Uh, and, and so thank you for being a church family that seeks to uh, be an encouragement to one another. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the cultural air that we breathe is just discouraging, right? Like there is just an air of discouragement. There is a, a biting sarcasm that gets lifted up as, as humor. And, and there's just a, a, a culture that tears one another down and, and we think it's, it's cool. I mean, if you need any evidence for the de- total depravity of man, go to any article on the, on the internet that has comments available. Like, it just it's amazing what strangers will say to strangers that are fellow image bearers. I mean, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this one thing on the internet uh, where you take a selfie with a piece of picture held up that says, roast me on it. Have you, have you seen this? Where you, just different girls and teenagers and guys will, will take a picture, and the idea is uh, millions of strangers will see it, and then they'll type their best roast in there. Like, you look like an idiot because da-da-da-da-da. And the, the winner, you know, gets the most votes. And it's just cruel, and it's mean, and, and we laugh at it, and we think, oh, isn't that neat? But in the end, isn't that just discouraging? I mean, we, we, we uh, think that, man, if, if, if we lift up other people, then that means we won't be lifted up. And so just our, our nature is to pull one another down. And the problem that Augustine and Luther uh, called it in, in the Latin is incurvatus in se, which means in, the, that the human soul is curved in on itself. 
So rather than outwardly looking to live a life to honor God and serve other people, that, that by nature we, we become incurvitous in say, more and more focused on ourself, and, and our world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And so there's the, the air that we breathe, breathe is discouraging. And discouragement, man, that can be debilitating, right? Like, like when you were a little kid, you learned this song, sticks and stones may hurt my, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, which sounds pretty bad, uh, but words will never hurt me. And as you grow up, you realize, man, bones mend. But those words carry with us, with baggage and scars. And all of us in this room have baggage and scars from, from the toxic air that we breathe culturally, culturally the, the discouragement that we received along the way from, from friends, from family. Maybe it was a father, maybe it was a mother, or people that should have been on your side and they tore you down. Like we all, every person in this room has those scars. And they stick with us. Recently heard the story of a, a father who set his young son up on a wall and uh, said, uh, come on, jump on down. I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And the, the kid was like, no, I'm afraid, daddy. I'm afraid. And he's like, no, I got you. I got you. Just come on down. And, and the kid musters up all his courage and strength and he leaps from the wall. And in that moment, the father looks in his eyes, turns around, lets the kid fall and hit the ground. You're like, what in the world? Father gets down and says, let that be a lesson to you, to trust nobody. This guy's an adult now. This is what he carries with him. How, how has that affected his marriages? <laughs> yeah, plural. How has that affected his uh, other relations? That, that carries with us. In the same way, I would hope, uh, in an in a opposite way that there, there are moments in your life where you can look back like a lightning strike and say, in that moment, someone said something or did something for me that set my path, set my foot on a different path. And I'm a different person because of encouragement. I mean, I can remember the moment uh, standing as a new believer, as a 19-year-old at the back of a pizza hut, folding boxes as I waited for my next pizza delivery, talking with another Christian, and him saying to me, uh, the first time anyone ever said anything like this to me, Mark, have you ever considered being a pastor? I, I think you'd do a great job. I was like, what? I are you, are you smoking what I smoked earlier today? Because that, what, what do you mean? Like, and, and it just stuck with me. I'm like, wow, God, would you want to, to use someone like me with all of my baggage? And I mean, I'm not the guy. And it just stuck with me. It set my path, set my foot on a different path. I don't know who it's been for you. Again, maybe it was a friend or a teacher or a coach, a parent, a father, or mother on this Father's Day, man, don't, don't kids just long for the affirmation of their parents, especially their fathers? Daddy, watch me. Like, like I, I hope that you have some of those moments and you can see, because here's the reality. Every person in this room, every person in your row, every person you came to church with, every person in this room is in need of encouragement. There's no one here that's like, man, I'm full. I don't need any more encouragement in life. No, you need encouragement 
And and the good news is that that God, through his spirit, has specifically equipped you and me that have trusted in Jesus to bring the encouragement the world desperately needs. We need encouragement. And so on repeat in the Bible, we we are commanded, encourage one another, love one another, build one another uh, on repeat. Uh, But sometimes more than just the, the statement, the doctrine, what we need is living examples We need to look at people that are encouragers and say, man, I want to be like you. And so as we work our way through the book of Acts, I don't know if you saw it in the passage that Justin read. There is this living example that shows up time and time and time and time again in the book of Acts, but he's so subtle that you may not ever catch it. His name, well, we know him by his nickname. His name is Barnabas. In fact, this week, I kind of just asked some friends and and was talking to the people that know the Bible well and and know the book of Acts well. I say, hey, how often do you think Barnabas is mentioned in the book of Acts? And most of them said four, five, six times. I'm like, yeah, how about 29 times? They're like, really? Really? Yeah, in fact, if you take Barnabas out of the book of Acts, well, you don't have the book of Acts. The church gets fractured immediately. You don't have a third of the New Testament because we'll never get the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You won't get the the gospel of Mark. If Barnabas does not show up in this very subtle yet powerful way with just the gift of encouragement, the church is not in existence. So we, we think, man, if, if God would just give me, a, you know, a powerful gift of, of leadership or healing or, or prayer warrior or something that's real flashy, I could really make a difference in the world. But, but this gift is so powerful and so important that the Holy Spirit does not see fit to give it to certain people. He sees fit to give it to everybody in his presence so that we would all be the encouragement that you and I and the world desperately needs. And so I want to just look at his life. There's so much to learn from Barnabas. But I want to just look at what three things of a spirit-filled encourager that we're going to see in three different scenes in the book of Acts. One we've already seen, one we read about today, and one in a couple chapters. And just see, if Barnabas is not there, the church does not move forward. The mission gets stopped, and it's just this simple yet powerful thing that all of us can and should do. Here's here's my big idea. The spirit-filled encouragement gives life to people. It transforms churches, and it changes the world. Spirit-filled encouragement gives life to people. It transforms churches and changes the world. And because everyone needs it, your wife needs it, your husband needs it, your kids need it, your friends need it, the strangers that you will encounter this week need it, the Spirit gladly gives you his presence and his power and his ability to encourage everybody. My hope is that this message would build in us what we often call a gospel culture. It's one thing to have gospel doctrine right, and we want to have that right. But I've seen a lot of churches that have gospel doctrine right and don't understand gospel culture. It's we believe the truth, but we're not going to live like that. So we want to be a people. And we talk about it often that, that not only believe the truth, but live the truth. And Barnabas is the preeminent example in the book of Acts. 
and the early church for us. So I want to look at three things that his life teaches us about what it means to be a spirit-filled encourager. If you have your Bible, turn back to Acts chapter 4 when we first are introduced to Barnabas. This is the very early days of the church. The church is exploding in Jerusalem. It's growing, and Luke, the author of the book of Acts, begins to give us a summary of what it was like, and then he shows us the catalyst for why it was like that. And the catalyst is a guy named Joseph. We'll see in a moment who we know as Barnabas. Verse 32 of chapter 4 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of his things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, Luke's going to show us why this happened, what the catalyst for this kind of loving, sacrificial community was. Verse 36, thus Joseph, that's his name, Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. And then Luke gives us the translation of Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the best nickname ever. I mean, it was as if uh, the the apostles, uh, as they're just celebrating God's grace and seeing the church explode, it's as if one day uh, Peter and John and some of the apostles are are lounging around and they're looking at this guy, Joseph, and as the church is growing, they they see Joseph walking around. They they can't hear what what he's saying to them, but when he ever goes to a person or an individual and he moves on, as he moves on, they all have smiles on their faces. And he goes to the next group, and, and they smile after the, Joseph has had some encouragement with them. And the next group, and the next person, and the next group. At, at one point, the disciples themselves aren't naturally bent this way. Peter's not a natural encourager. And so I just imagine Peter kind of lounging over and looking at John and saying, Look at that guy, Joseph. Man. He is so encouraging. Look at him. He's so encouraging. It's as if if encouragement was a dude and had a son, that would be his son. He is Barnabas. He is the son of encouragement. And the church is encouraged. But here's the first mark of a spirit-filled encourager. A spirit-filled encourager, first and foremost, is transformed by the gospel. I think that's how I put it. How did I put it? Where's my screen here? Okay, yeah. Are transformed by the gospel. Well, how do you say that, Mark? How, how, how do we know that Barnabas was transformed by the gospel? Well, a couple things. We know he was extremely wealthy, and yet his wealth did not have a grip on his heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, so maybe there was a time in, in, in Joseph's life where he was all about the business and all about growing and, and getting his bank account. But when Jesus came, died, buried, and resurrected, he was so uh, transformed by that, so amazed, so encouraged by that. He said, man, that's the most important thing in the universe. And so whatever I have, whatever's in my life, I want to leverage for the sake of, of the gospel. He's transformed. You have to be transformed. You have to be wowed by the gospel. 
gospel. I read uh, in, a, in a, just a devotion I was reading this week, uh, the, the author just made the point, there are no indifferent angels. Like, no, angels are never indifferent when it comes to the worship of God. They are either in full-on rebellion or, or they are on full-on worship. And yet the image bearers of God, you and me, we can get indifferent to the gospel. Barnabas is not indifferent to the gospel. He's transformed by it. He's captured by it. He's like, whatever it takes, my life has been totally transformed. And so he is willing and joyfully setting this pattern for the early church. And this is a critical moment. Because as the early church is growing, there is a huge disparity. There's some that, that have a lot like Joseph, and then there's others that when they pray, give us this day our daily bread, they mean it, and they don't always get it. And so in this moment, the question would be, is the church going to be like every other institution in the world? Is everyone just going to be in it for themselves, or are we actually going to live like a family together? And so Barnabas comes to the scene and he says, no, we're in this together and and I'll take what I have for the sake of seeing Jesus lifted high and he gives and his, his giving spurs on a giving of the whole community and it says they had all things in common and much grace was upon them all. So the first mark of a spirit-filled encourager is someone that has been transformed by the gospel. The second mark we'll see in the passage that Justin read for us here. The second time we see Barnabas come up on the scene. So in Acts chapter 9, just by way of setup here, uh, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, Saul the persecutor gets uh, just amazingly transformed by the gospel of grace. Jesus comes, literally knocks him off his horse, and, and makes him a new creation. And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, Saul is now in love with Jesus, even though he had tried to kill uh, Jesus' followers prior to this. And it says that he immediately began to teach. He's in Damascus, and, and, and he's proving that Jesus is the Christ, meaning he had such a knowledge of the Scriptures that he could say, with his eyes open now, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises. And as he's preaching this, the persecutor becomes the persecuted. Those that, that thought they were on his side now were against him, and, and they have a plot to murder him. Again, sometimes I think we read the Bible just too indifferently. Like, has, has anyone had a plot to murder you? I imagine that's a stressful thing. I, I don't know that anyone's plotted to murder me, but, but this plot gets to the attention of Saul, and it's a credible plot. In fact, they learned this kind of plot from him in his pre-Christian life. And they saw that this guy was willing to kill Christians, and now he's a Christian, so we're willing to kill him. And the, the idea was that whenever he, he's ready to leave the town, we've got some, some guys hanging out, and we're going to take him and, and, and execute him outside the walls. And so the, the plot was real. And it says he, his disciples, so he was there probably a couple years at this point, put him in a basket at night and under cover of darkness lowered him down outside of the city walls. Just imagine that. Just going down. Like, how terrifying is that? I mean, because when you get to the ground, it's not like you're, you're, you're home free, right? He, he then walks for nine days by himself to Jerusalem. What's going through your mind at that moment? I mean, how isolated and alone and, I mean, even the best of us, how, how afraid would you be? Because as he's walking to Jerusalem, he's like, what am I going to do? 
my old homeboys, if they hear about this, they're going to want to kill me. And the people I was killing, they're my only hope. I mean, what kind of situation is that? In fact, as he gets into town in Jerusalem, it says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, verse 26, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And their fear is warranted, right? He was the leader of the persecutor. What if you're Stephen's brother and Saul shows up at the church doors? This guy murdered my brother. You got, you got to feel the tension. Like, don't blame the church. They're like, yeah, we're afraid of this. We were missionaries in the Czech Republic, and for 50 years, there was communist uh, oppression and persecution of the church there. And the problem with the church today, one of the problems is that the older generation had to have such a, a protection mentality just to survive that they have no desire to outreach to anyone else now. They're just afraid. And so that's a, a challenge, and, and that's how the church is. Now, if there is not Barnabas in this moment, that's all we hear about Saul for the rest of the book of Acts. And again, there's no book of Romans. There's no 1st, 2nd Corinthians. There's no letters to Timothy. There's no missionary journeys where they're planning churches. Like everything comes to a screeching halt in this moment if the church is like, we're afraid of that guy. Into the book of Acts. Great book, huh? No. Verse 27. But Barnabas. <laughs> but Barnabas took him, but the son of encouragement took him, brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. See, spirit-filled encouragers lift one another up. They lift people up. You say, well, I don't know, Mark. If I, if I lift someone up at my work, they might get the promotion and I might not. Yeah? But can you trust Jesus? That there's something more important than a promotion? I, I don't know. If I, if I lift my kids up all the time, they, they, they might just, they don't know that they got to fix this thing and that thing in their lives. Well, spirit-filled encouragers lift one another up. If I just go look, if I just go and, and encourage everyone else, who's going to encourage me? Let me just tell you, you will be encouraged if you become a spirit-filled encourager. Don't worry about that. But spirit-filled encouragers seek to uh, go out of their way, are intentional about lifting one another up at great risk to their own reputation. I mean, Barnabas had a good reputation, but, but he was laying it all on the line for this guy who had murdered some of the friends and family members of the church. And he'll do it again throughout the book of Acts. Later in the book, there's a point where uh, they're going on another missionary journey, and, and Barnabas is like, hey, we're going to take Mark along again, right? And Paul's like, no, we're not. He abandoned us last time. This is in Acts chapter 15. And Barnabas is like, no, we've got to give the dude a second chance. And Paul's like, no. <laughs> and Barnabas is like, no, we have to. And Paul's like, well, you can, you can go with him. I'm, I'm going to go with Luke. And so that's what happens. He, he's willing to risk his reputation so he can come alongside and encourage this young John Mark. And now we have the gospel of Mark as a result. But he's willing to give up his status for the sake of building another person up. That's the second thing we see. The third thing comes in a couple chapters in chapter 11. 
In chapter 11, the third time we see Barnabas, it says, now uh, those who were, this is verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution which Saul started, uh, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus, of Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So these are Gentiles that are hearing the gospel now. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Now, most of us in here are Gentiles. And so we're like, yeah, of course God loves Gentiles. Of course the gospel went to Gentiles. That's why we're here 2,000 years later. Of course. But when this happens, this changes history. You got to understand for millennia, the only way to be in relationship with the living God of the universe was to be a part of the covenant people, was to be Jewish. And the Jewish people were taught in their law that you, you didn't associate with Gentiles. You didn't talk to them. You certainly didn't eat with them. And you definitely didn't go in their homes because that would make you unclean. And so there's some animosity. There's some tension between Jews and Gentiles. And in this moment, word gets back to the leaders in Jerusalem. And they're like, "Uh, this is getting out of hand. The people up in Antioch who know nothing about the living God, someone told them about Jesus and they believe in Jesus now. And so what will the church do? Again, a watershed moment for the church. Do we have two churches? A a Gentile church and a Jewish church? And how are they going to grow? They don't don't even have the scriptures. How are they going to grow in their knowledge and love for Jesus? What are we going to do? Imagine they, they debated it a little bit and then they had an idea. Here's what they said. Uh... Where am I at? Okay. What, what verse? Okay. Oh, the report came to the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. They said, you know what? Barnabas, he can get along with anybody. Let's send him to the Gentiles. Let's see what, what he can do. Let's, he's a bridge builder. If anyone can can bring them into the fold of the church, it's Barnabas. So they sent Barnabas. And then we see the third mark of a spirit-filled encourager. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Spirit-filled encouragers see God's grace and celebrate it. So what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. In church life, in family life, at work, in the world, it does not take anyone special to be a critic. Criticism is not a spiritual gift. Like this new church was a new church. They had problems, and like every other church in church history, they weren't perfect. Like he could have come in here and be like, you guys are doing it wrong. But criticism is not a spiritual gift. No, he has eyes to see evidences of God's grace. And he sees it, he acknowledges, he celebrates it. 
I've had people come up to me and they say, well, Mark, God's just really given me a, a spirit of discernment. I, I'm able to see what's, go, what's going wrong in the church. I'm like, God did not give that to you. Satan did. And you need to stop. Yes, we're not a perfect church. I don't know of a perfect church. If you find it, don't go to it. You'll ruin its record. There is no such thing. Do we have problems? Yes. Are you always going to love the worship music? Probably not. Are you going to love my preaching? Probably not. You're going to love the way we pray or the way we do our gospel communities, the way we do Bible studies? Probably not. But can you see the evidence of God's grace and celebrate with us? Because that's a mark of a spirit-filled encourager. And when you see that, say it. Be specific. Say, man, I see this in this church. I see this going on. And praise the Lord for that. And, And may we not just do it in the church. May we do it in our families. It's easy for me to be critical of my children. And if I'm not intentional, those are the things that come out of my mouth. And even this week, I told them, I said, you know, I'm speaking on encouragement. And they're like, oh, here we go. Uh, But I just say, you know, I realize I don't always do a great job of of that, but I want to do better. And I I, want to... I want to just know I love you guys and I think you're, you're amazing and, and sometimes I don't say that. Uh, what comes out of my, my mouth can be critical more than not. That's true of husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to kids. Like our families desperately need encouragement. It doesn't take any special gift to be critical. And so that's a mark of, of Barnabas. He'll, he'll continue. We'll see him throughout the book of Acts. But, but again, what, what the, the Holy Spirit wants to show us is just how ordinary he is and yet how extraordinary encouragement is. It, it, it brings people to life. It transforms churches and it changes the world. The world was changed because Barnabas could see and celebrate the grace of God. Look at the result. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them. That's another word for encourage them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but the early church father, Tertullian, said it was Barnabas. We don't know if that's true. But if you look at the book of Hebrews, there is this constant encouragement to persevere in the Lord. In fact, he'll say in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, do not neglect in gathering together, but but meet together all the more to encourage one another to persevere. The reason we gather and the reason we come together here and in our homes and, and throughout the week is to encourage one another to persevere. God's plan for you to persevere in your faith is the people on your left and your right. And this is what Barnabas is doing to this new church. He's just encouraging them to stay faithful. And and the great many people were added to the Lord. In each one of these cases, Luke gives this summary kind of resultant statement. So so Barnabas shows up. He exercises encouragement. and, And the church mission expands. The mission goes forward. The church grows. I think encouragement may be the best evangelism strategy on the planet. This should be a place full of people filled with the Spirit of God that that are the most encouraging people on the planet. 
And again, I, I'm grateful for this church. I, I think we, we, we've, we've surprised me and, and we, we've, we've done a lot and we've, we've got a ways to go. But that's okay. We all have a ways to go. I want to encourage you to do uh, what my friend Mark Halleck calls the Barnabas Challenge. Mark Halleck is a pastor in this city. And in fact, when I was driving Matthew to the airport this week, uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to speak on Barnabas. I'm going to talk about encouragement. And uh, Matthew said, oh, are you going to go all Mark Halleck on them? And I was like, well, no, not, not, probably not. Because Mark, man, he will bear hug everybody in this room. Like, he, like in, in this sermon right now, he would just go out there and just give you all a hug. Like, he's awesome. He's like a Barnabas. And he kind of, he's an Acts 29 pastor in the city. He literally wrote a book that came out on Friday called The Relentless Encourager. And I read it because I got an advanced copy because he, well, he asked my wife to do a review and he didn't ask me, but, um, <laughs> so she did a good review and I was like, give that to me, I'm, I'm speaking on this. And so at the end of the book, he has something called the Barnabas Challenge. Again, my contention is the Holy Spirit wants all of us to be relentless encouragers, that this is an all play, and this is the most powerful force in the church that we have available to us. And so at the end of it, the Barnabas challenge is simply this, encourage, he calls it, it's two words you have to remember, encourage three, encourage three. So every day, seek to intentionally encourage three people. And uh, you, you might be saying, well, you know, it's not really my personality. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Are you a follower of Jesus? Yeah? Well, then you're called to grow in Christ-like maturity. And Jesus is the most encouraging person in the universe. And so it may not be your natural bent, but guess what? You don't get a pass on that. So your, your natural bent may not be a, a generous person. That doesn't mean you get a pass on it. Jesus is the most generous person in the universe. Your, your natural bent may not be uh, any number of the spiritual gifts, but we are to look at encouragers and say, I want my life to reflect that. And so we become encouragers. It might be hard for some of us, but you can do that through text. I mean, get your phone out right now and text someone that needs encouragement. Go ahead. I see you on your phones all the time anyway. Let's just do, let's do it for the Lord, all right? So encourage someone. You can encourage them by text, and email, in person. And just before you go up to them, just pray. Lord, Lord, would you just give me a word to speak life and hope and joy to this person, to my daughter or my wife or my husband? Let's be that. And since this is Father's Day, let me just give a word to fathers. Man, what an opportunity we have. God has just designed us to uh, be the chief encouragers of our wives and our children. And so often, the opposite is the case. Good news. The Spirit wants to help you and me become the chief encouragers in our family, to set the atmosphere and the tone of our family of one of building up and encouragement. And if you haven't done a good job, guess what? There's grace for you. You can tell your wife, you can tell your kids, hey, I haven't done a good job, but I want to do a good job. I'm going to mess up again, but, but my, my hope is that I would grow in this. And so each day, the Barnabas challenge is you would encourage three people. You might just have a, a, a wife and two kids. There you go. You don't even have to go outside your home. That's okay. 
But it's just developing this Barnabas kind of spirit in us by the Holy Spirit. We want to be a church that believes rightly, but also lives rightly. A church that is full of the gospel culture. We believe that spirit-filled encouragement gives life to people, it transforms churches, and it will change this world. And to that end, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us. God, I pray that we would never think too too little about you working in us to speak life and hope and joy to people in our lives. Father, we are experts, all of us, at discouragement, but we need your spirit to bring encouragement in us. Transform us by the gospel. Give us eyes to lift people up. And Lord, I I pray that as you work in us and you do these things in our hearts, Lord, that that we would be marked by it. Give us eyes to see your grace at work and to celebrate that. Lord, give us specific words to tell people, not just to encourage in general, but to see specific things, both privately and publicly in the lives. Lord, and, and I look forward for the way that as you did through Barnabas, you'll do through us that you'll transform our families and our church and our city and the world by your spirit, speaking the words of the gospel to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.